Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is... There's somebody making a noise in the background again. It happens every, <laughs> every week we do this. Well, anyway, we'll carry on regardless. And uh, my name is Simon Forster. I'm joined by at least two noisy co-hosts. Um, one of them is Andrew Bartram and the other being Eric Matty. But we've also got a guest and we've got Nicholas Yusada. <laughs> and I've, <already laughs> met, I've messed that up massively because it's nothing. It doesn't sound like I've actually meant to say it. For, and I know that it's spelled completely differently but we'll we'll get to hear the correct pronunciation of uh, of nico's name uh, very very shortly um, but because he's nico from nico's photography show on youtube so uh hello andrew hello simon hello eric hello simon and for the record that was not me making that noise <laughs> no, it, as usual it was it was andrew it's always andrew trying to put me off at the start and uh, hello nico hello guys it's great great to have you with us nico Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to Nicole S- Smith, Nicole Small, um, who was our guest in the last show. Roll, isn't he? Yeah. This. Yeah, this. He is, he is. Yeah. I'm so professional. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being with us, Nicole. It was absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Um, so I'm going to head over to well, hand over to Eric. So take us away. Well, I'm not sure what you're handing over to me because you actually just introduced Nico exceptionally well. So it's like, well, what, well, how can I follow up on that? Well, you, could, you can always actually try and say what his surname is. Let's, let's, let's go for that. Nico Yasara. Like, yes, oh. sir. Like, as he said, right. The double yep. L. Very close. The guy from Yeah. The guy from Wisconsin almost gets it, which is just about as much big of a victory as I can get. But actually I'm really, uh, I have to say, completely unedited and uncensored as I usually am. I'm really fucking excited uh, to have you on, Nico. Like you and I, uh, I think I started watching your channel actually when you started it and we chatted back and forth a few times years ago mm-hmm. uh, when I was doing the Route 66 project and you were like, I want to come to the United States and like take a tour of people across the US to photo stops and whatever. And I was like, that would be so dope. You should totally do that. Um, so it's been literally years I've been hoping to run across you, hopefully in the physical space someday. Uh, but for now, the virtual one will do. And I'm also rather pleased. I was curious, total curiosity point on my, on my side, that the mustache is real. Because sometimes the mustache, when you do the news channel, I, I sometimes wonder whether or not it was like a little paste on like a caricature of an no, American no. newscaster. No, of, no, no. You know? <laughs> it's, it's real. It's real. This started off a year ago. Uh, yeah, I guess a year and a bit ago. I had a wedding in the States and my uh, political family is quite tense in certain situations. And I honestly don't take things so seriously. So I was like, you know what? Everybody's going to be so tense in a wedding, Uh, you know, weddings. And I was like, I am the Spaniard and nobody really cares. So I'm going to just do something different. So I left the really like this stash and uh, that became actually the whole conversation at the wedding. So I managed to blow off some steam between people. So it stayed, and this summer it happened because I did a, a video about being, Nic- uh, well, Nicholas Nixon and his self-portrait, and oh, I grew yeah. a beard, and the stash stayed. I shaved it all off, and then I was like, I just try to make fun of, of it with my wife and kids, and you know when you suddenly realize you're a YouTuber, and you're like, oh, wait, I need it for today. I'm going to have this on my face today. i got to keep it for a couple of weeks at least, and then I kept it. And then it just became like a favorite pet. It just like... Living on top of your lip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually, um, I love it when you cut your hair. 
so one day we're looking at you and you uh, d- during lockdown and you were kind of wild next time you were shorn and very trim and then over the weeks we just watch it grow exactly. is that just me is that just me i get a i was i was actually gonna cut it today i was gonna <laughs> shave it off today so uh you got the last of my long hair and those people listening probably won't know but yeah probably it last is, day of long hair it is wavy it is like total 70s like wavy do um but actually that brings me to a, a question that i had i guess the first question because i actually went back and rewatched your very very first two pod the very very first youtube videos the one where you did the announcement and then episode one like the very first episode um which was really just you in front of a wall with yep. like a bunch of uh and you were obviously learning right but a bunch of like chop edits like this is nico and like it's just really visible yeah. like chop edits and then i was like man i remember this when did he go to the the and the name of the of the fake character from um there's a movie about newscasters like with the tie and the suit and everything a few years later you totally switched personas this like yeah he goes news with a really professional video front and everything which was just brilliant but really different from where you started so i was curious like when did you decide to kind of change that format up well well, the funny thing is I, I never really changed the format. I guess it did to people, but I didn't try. Uh, when I started YouTube, I basically was going to lose my job. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to start doing this because, you know, I was prepping like we all do, but we never start. Uh, so I just decided to launch it. And, you know, truth be told, you think it's just turning on a camera and you sound and you look amazing. And that first episode, like you saw, it's not like that at all. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't know how long into it I was, I've always been a geek for news and what's going on. And, and I realized there was no, no media, there was no information whatsoever in any website, forum, blog, uh, anything. And I was like, podcast even, and I was like, well, all these little pieces of news are actually, you know, good news about film industry. Nobody knows about it. And we're all talking about film is dead. You know, it was 2000. Uh, 15 it was not yet so dead anymore but you know it was still pretty uh, shadow area and people were kind of still sad about stuff uh so i started and i was like okay i want to do these news but like me sitting in front of a camera saying news feels like a little awkward so i turned around at work i work with my dad and i told my dad do you have like an old suit but it has to be very 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 tacky it can't be like a nice suit and he's like oh yeah i have this low and it's a it's an actual loev uh suit which is like a super expensive brand but it's 80s uh and actually if i extend my arms my arms are way longer than my dad so like I will. So you'll see me at the news all the time, like picking my arms because I don't want my shirt to come out. So I basically decided to make it a whole scene. Um, I did the intro. I paid for like some Adobe After Effects intro and I made it custom and whatnot. And I decided I was going to and I started and that was it. Uh, That was the beginning of the news. And I thought it was going to be just, you know, something silly I would do and nobody would really care. And it's become pretty much the core of the channel in a way. and it's funny because now I have the pressure every week that I have to come up with news and I have to be mm-hmm. always alert. The worst part is the always alert. You always have to be looking into Facebook groups and Instagram. Like I wouldn't have a Facebook uh, account if it wasn't for the news because I really don't like the social media part of it. 
Um, Instagram right now probably wouldn't have it either. Uh, I would just probably do the YouTube right now if it wasn't for the news. But I have to keep track because, and even though I tell all the brands and all the brands seem, and this is might sound like a rant and I don't want to sound like a rant, but like there's brands with a thousand followers on Instagram, let's say. And they come out with a new product. They'll put it on their stories. And you're like, okay, well, it takes one second to send me that story or piece of news or an email to my YouTube channel or email. And I'll put it on the news. I'll be happy to broadcast about it. There's no brand I've ever said no to. Oh, I don't like your stuff. I won't put it out. Uh, But they won't. And then you have to be finding these little brands and stories to tell. And you're like, how easy would it be to give this piece of information to the and you said probably the only source of news, maybe. Uh, maybe there's more places now, but uh, and I always struggle every week. Like an hour and a half before I record, I have no news every week. And do you think that's that's sort of um, because you know the the I would say that the 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 photography film industry outside of the really huge players that's what not huge i'll put that in air quotes right because they're not so huge anymore like kodak is not the the giant dominating force it once was in like the entire world you know like kodak ilford um adox to a certain extent besides certain key players that have a pr budget and probably like two or three or five like published relations persons it seems to me that the photography industry is for film is generally um like a sea of small fish Right. Yep. Like people who are rebranding film or doing little startups and Kickstarters and, you yep. know, making their own um, light well, meters and whatnot. Right. And they don't have PR people per se. No. Um, and do you think that the reason it is uh, an ecosystem of so many small players is because of that, like, lack of organization or lack of, like, PR ability that it's just enthusiasts who are going after it? It's or, it's very I, I I mean like you said like there's I think there's two main subjects you have the big big boys big fish, uh, Kodak Fuji uh, I don't know Ilford stuff like that that will announce things and everybody and under the world under the sky will talk about it. Like, Ectochrome came back. I mean I think my grandmother knows about it and she's been dead for ten years. You know like everybody <laughs> knows about it. But the moment that Riveni Labs or whatever brand, and I'm speaking out brands that I know, like, uh, I don't know, Cosmophoto, someone makes something new, or you, Eric, like your little lenses that are made with like dollar bills, which is how we met the first time properly, yeah. um, which I have it over there, still haven't used it. I'm a disaster. But we can talk about that later. Uh, but basically, all these things are happening. You have the other side. And what happens is there's a middle ground now of brands that have realized, oh, wait, we could launch it and tell Nico about it. And then not only will we make our social media thing with their X amount of followers, which is usually not huge, uh, and then put it on the news. And a lot of people are announcing on Tuesdays, and that's for the news. And it's super cool. Like To me, the first time a brand reached out, small or big, and told me, hey, we have this new product that's coming out, but we want to launch it on the news with you. I was like, whoa. Like That's like... Like, I want to tell my wife, but my wife won't understand, you know? Like, it's it's right. really hard to talk about these things. And you guys might understand because you, you're in the film world. But, like, uh, these situations are quite weird. And at the beginning was very flattering. It still is. But, you know, you get more used to it and there's more things coming out. But, yeah, it's I think that's part of it. Like, there's small brands. Uh, there's usually a one-man team. 
They're trying to manage orders and social media, sometimes making their own videos. And for example, with Ribeni, who I have a good relationship with, Matt, uh, and I won't say his last name because that's much harder than mine. Um, <laughs> it's, we, we interviewed him. I, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I mess his name up as well quite, quite royally. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody can say it except for him. Um, like with Matt, his first Kickstarter, when I watched the first <laughs> video, I was like, oh my God, someone has to tell him like, just make things, don't talk to camera and he's gotten much better the second launch uh of his spot meter he was way more fluid and better but like i talked behind the scenes with him like hey maybe you want to buy a softbox and like a light and i use these cheap lights they work where because all these youtube little tip tips and tricks nobody tells you about at least i didn't get anyone to tell me about and you learn um so the kickstarter does well because a, a successful kickstarter like his i think he raised like two hundred thousand dollars yep is such a massive difference compared to the first one, which I don't know, I remember maybe 70,000. So it's three times the yield with a better video, also a lot more social media. Like he asked me, like, I don't know if he only asked me, but he did ask me, like, do you know any other large format photographers that could benefit from trying this um, spot meter? And I recommended him like Nick Carver and Ben Horn. I think Matt Mirage still wasn't doing all these videos, but maybe he was. Uh, and a couple, maybe Todd Crawl, uh, uh, Coral, Todd. yeah, Coral. Um, I his last name I got wrong on the news, so he told me it's Coral. Um, so he told these people, and that's been successful. So I actually love the idea of uh, helping brands when they're going to launch something. And I'm not an expert, but I think I know a little bit more after 182 newscast of how a successful campaign can happen. So do you ever think about like changing that? And it would, I think sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because now that you have those skills and that knowledge, like you could actually become a, a marketing agency, right? For these small brands to help them out with that thing. Although that would endanger your standing as the newscaster per se. Um, but it seems to me that if, if the film industry could really, the smaller like mom and pop shops, as they say here in the States, um, could really benefit from that sort of thing. Like you could actually turn that into a sort of. I've, I, first of all, I think there's a misconception about working with a brand and talking about a brand. Okay. So I have no problem taking anyone's money and that in general life. I mean, I have my, my stakes in, in economy and how I get sponsored is only has to be related to film. So, I mean, nobody's come before, like nobody's come and told me, hey, MasterCard wants to sponsor your news. They want to give you $10,000 per news. Maybe I would do it. But like, I only take money from film brands. And that is because that's the only thing I want to talk about. Like you guys are listening to a podcast right now or you're watching a YouTube video. You don't want to talk about, I don't know, a bed cushion or a mattress or a sofa. Oh, hey, look this Hoover. Like you don't want to hear about that stuff. So I was like, I can only be sponsored by news, but that limits the amount of income you can make because these are small startups. So when I do that, like I don't have a problem. And I always told the brands, like if you sponsor me, it's fine. We'll find a way to integrate it into the channel but I will never speak better about it because you paid. And if you send me a unit to test or something, I won't speak better of it because you send it to me and I have no problem. And if a brand decides, hey, Nico, you were a total douchebag on that video talking about this product or X product, like we're not sending any more. It's their loss to me. I mean, it gives me a ton of work to do it. And I, yeah, you make some yield uh, on money and, and that's without payment even. But 
it's at the end the the people that are really controlling my channel or whatever I success are their viewers. So if right now I think I'm like at nineteen thousand subscribers or something like that, which is not big for YouTube terms, but it is huge for me. Uh, if those nineteen thousand people didn't like my stuff, they that I have nothing to do. Right. I would just be taking pictures on my own in Spain or wherever I am, and that's it. And I really value those people that are behind uh, either interviewing me on a podcast or watching or leaving a comment, being Patreons, whatever it is. And that those are the ultimate. Like if a brand gets pissed off at me because I say their camera or their lens is a trash, well, you should have sent me a better camera and a better lens. <laughs> and it's on you. And this is what happens to me is if a brand sends me a product and it's unfinished, you got to be ready. Like uh, Eric, you sent me a lens that's, you know, the dollar lens and we know that it has the special features. I mean, of course that's not going to be a Rodenstock or a Schneider. No. <laughs> uh, but I, I I got it from you and I paid for it because we we did that like that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't free in any way and I, you never told me, "Hey, Nico, make a review." It was just like that. It was a normal transaction. But if it was what it is, I'll speak. I'll say, "Look, it looks this way or look like I wouldn't be ashamed and if you would have given it to me and said oh this is the best thing ever it's going on kickstarter i'm going to raise millions i would have said like okay send it to me but if i say in the video this thing looks like you know like a like a little mirrored with like you know peak hole uh it is what it is right so yeah i i don't get too concerned about that like mixing the news and brands Two, uh, two, two questions. One, one occurred to me while you were saying earlier, Nico, about not really turning away any brands. And uh, there was a Kickstarter a few years ago. Uh, it was Yashica. They came back and uh, got the name, didn't they? And they had a, a film, but it wasn't really a film. It was phony little things that dropped in. What, do you remember? And it was yeah, like, the dropped, digi, it, digi it was film. a digi. So maybe that wasn't was did that make an appearance on your show? No, I, uh, no. and anything film, yes. N yeah. Anything non-film, no. So that was just pretending to be, wasn't it? I mean, this was like I, I thought it was a brilliant idea uh, in the concept. I love the idea because people shoot stuff on digital and then use filters and edit. So the idea of getting a final product, and I thought about it in SD cards. I was like, that would be awesome if you could buy a Canon RP and or Canon R or whatever it is. Uh, and buy an SD card that gave you the Portra 400 look. And every mm -hmm. shot you took and saved there, it would save, imagine, an original RAW, just in case, and then the Portra look. I mean, I, honestly, I don't shoot digital except for video for the YouTube channel, um, and I don't enjoy it. But I, the reason I didn't enjoy it when I started with digital again in 2007, it was every time I took a picture, I had to think about what I wanted to do with it. And that was so mind-blowing. I was like, okay, I have this raw file. What do I do with this now? Because right. do I want to make it film noir? Would I make it like saturated HDR? Why wanna... And it was like, I don't know what to do. And that killed me. And the moment I picked up a film camera, I was like, oh, this shot really would look great in Portra. Or this shot would look great in Ektar, which nothing I've shot looked great in Ektar ever, but that's just me. Uh, or maybe this looks great in HP5, or my favorite film was used to be Fuji uh, Neopan 1635. Yeah. Uh, like, if I could buy a digital camera normal and use an SD card that could give me that look immediately, and maybe these film emulations they have in Fuji could be that, uh, I'd be pretty happy to shoot digital every now and then. I still don't like it, but... Or that yeah. posh, uh, that posh Leica, the monochrome, is it? 
that, yeah, that has yeah. um that can yeah. do something like that can't it well, yeah yeah actually, most of the most of the camera most of the digitals nowadays have you know with the film emulation the the visual pre-visualization in the viewfinder of this is what it's going to be right black and white black and white mm -hmm. high contrast you set it do it whatever uh the fuji ones in particular are pretty pretty good for that visualization and they'll typically save a raw file as well to the point actually sometimes where when you import it into lightroom it's it just imports the raw file You're like where'd that visualization go son of a bitch how do i get that back <laughs> um so a lot of them will do that but it's still it's still digital well like, I'm, I'm sorry to get you down this digital path it's so let's let's do a, a quick reverse turn around and turn around because <laughs> i've seen you in a video recently i think it was probably when you were reviewing the new ilford uh it, it was maybe the new portfolio paper you know the heart the new heavyweight resin coated paper which i've yet oh i've tried it out on on the postcard size which aren't really postcards but uh, you've got this devere eight by ten in larger Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a myriad of cameras because you s often surround yourself. You gave away an RZ RZ sixty-seven, yeah, which I'm, I was I, very annoyed that I didn't win. But anyway, I'm <laughs> well, uh, before you finish that, I actually still have it here because I'm a disaster at shipping things. So I, okay. I owe the winner an email and probably another pro pack of film to say I'm really sorry. It's April and you still didn't get the camera I gave away in December. I'm horrendous at shipping. And then you, and then you have this. Um, that was great for you to do that. That bingo. I watched. I watched the whole hour or so of you drawing those little balls out, and I was mesmerised by <laughs> you doing it. <laughs> it's the sweater. It was the sweater. <laughs> it was brilliant. I thought that was just such a fantastic thing to do for the community. Um, most recently, I've been fascinated by the large format monorail camera you've had, which is like three meters long. It's just that's behind it. Me. I can see it behind yep. you. <laughs> for the sake of those viewers watching in black and white. So you've got, but you've only just been into film. Is that what you're saying? Did, did I understand you right? You've only really got into film photography within the last few years? No, no, no. no. I've been, oh, okay. I mean, I shot film before there was anything else but film. Right. Uh, but I chose girlfriends better than film because film was extremely <laughs> expensive as much as people think it's expensive today. Um, they should have been around in the 2000s, late, late 90s. It was still expensive there. And um, I came back to it in 2009-ish. Uh, I once again lost. Uh, was going to lose my no. I actually I wasn't losing my job. That was a friend that told me he bought a Hasselblad, and I was like, oh my god, film is for romantic people, you know, the whole chemical and the dark room. And and the moment I went online because I'm I do this every single time. I've done it since I was a kid. Is I'll say, oh my god, that thing stinks. And then the next that same day, I would look into it and be like, oh wait. It doesn't really stink. It's actually super cool. Uh, and I would end up with it in a week, like bicycles, whatever it was. I would always be like, oh, that BMX stinks. And then next month I had my own BMX. Um, so basically that's what happened. I said, uh, Hasselblad, whatever. And when I looked online and it was the price of the lens I was looking to buy, which I was shooting full frame digital. And I was looking to buy an 8514. Uh, and I was like, wait, Hasselblads are cheaper? And I was like, I knew that Hasselblads were, you know, the Hasselbloods, the, what they were. And I decided to pick one up. And ever since I looked through the viewfinder, as we all know, I kind of got sucked into it. And I'm a tactile person. My grandfather was a sculptor. I lived in his workshop. I have sculptures around Spain with my name on them because I helped him. Uh, so 
I don't like things that I can't touch. So the, those raw files I would put in and have to decide were so complicated. But you give me a piece of film and you tell me, hey, put this in a camera, shoot it, develop it, print, print it. I'll love it. And I got really hooked. And I'm a very gear guy. So I have everything, like you said. So you've got you've got your 8x10 enlarger. You've got you're a Jobo fanboy. You know, because we've communicated on this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sort of Jobo. I've just br- broken my... Jobo cherry or whatever I've done, burst it. That's what I've done, haven't I? And yeah. you've been very helpful. I've messaged you a few times. You've been very helpful. And I'm still, I've only got the basic CPE2, which I was given. It was a gift, which was lovely. Somebody in the community sent it to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but you've, you do, you've got some nice gear. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I, I bought my own Jobo after my local lab screwed my film, like for the third time. And um, ever since, I just started gathering Jobos because I found, you know, first the brand was going under when I got mine, and then it never did. And I just liked gear. So I just was like, okay, Jobo uh, Rios, then Jobo, oh, I want to shoot 4x5. What do I need? Oh, you need the 2509 or you need this, and uh, you need the 2509N uh, for the 4x5. And then I was like, oh, but what if I want to shoot 8x10? Oh, you need the 3005. Oh, for the 3005. I need a expert uh, machine that can take expert tanks. So, okay, let me look. CPP3 or CPP2. CPP3 wasn't around yet. Uh, all these things. And the funniest part of it is I went to Photokina 2016 out of my own pocket because I was like, you know what? The news are misrepresented in the film world. I'm going to buy myself a ticket to Photokina. My channel had like 700 subscribers. Uh, and I got my logo and everything paid for uh, to go. I basically invested in myself. And I went there, and when I was talking to uh, Johannes uh, Brockenmuller, who's Joe Bo uh, number three, because Joe is Johannes and Bo is Brockenmuller, so the name is the name. Uh, That's where it came from. I was talking to him, and they had all these tanks in the back. I was like, oh, you got the 3062. He's like, and he turns around, and he kind of looks at them like, I don't know which one you're talking about, because he is the owner but I guess I knew a lot more about the brand than he did because his family decided that someone had to not work in the Jobo brand. And he studied something different. He worked something different. But then when the brand was going under, he took over. Uh, so he's not a, you know, so much of a Jobo enthusiast, at, even though being the owner. And they ended up uh, distributing the brand in Spain for a couple of years, which was not a good choice, but I did. Uh, because I thought I underestimate, I overestimated the film, uh, you know, renaissance and uh, basically didn't sell much. So I moved away. But I have a good relationship with the brand um, because of that. But yeah, I do have a lot of gear and mm-hmm. I have good taste. Yeah, I think <laughs> you do. I, 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 I think uh, I won't say I do, but I think the, the Jobo, I, I was a bit dismissive of Jobo for, um, uh, you know, for, for, I think for the cost of it. And I was I developed my four by five sheets in various things like the Stearman Press four four five, which I find to be excellent. If you just as long as you do fairly random rotations, uh, I've used the Mod fifty four pretty well. I've used uh, Jeff Perry's twentieth century insert, and um, but the Jobo I'd always been a bit dismissive of, and I'd seen the BTS BTZ tubes, you know, the rotary. Um, until I was given one, and I'm a bit of a convert now. But what is it, do you think, about particularly for large format uh, users, because this is obviously the large format photography podcast, what is it that you love about the, that sort of Jobo system? And and do people have to go and spend a load of money 
or can they oh. get the same results through hand rotation on one of those little um, rollers? I mean, I'm my biggest inspiration as photographers. None of them use Jobos, so there you go. You can do it <laughs> another way. But talking about that, you said it yourself. It's the Jobo system, like. Uh, and I don't like talking about Apple too much because it gets too much hype, but it's like the like the Apple ecosystem. You know, you get, and I just got into the iPhone again and the Apple Watch and whatnot, but like the Jobos grow with you. And uh, you can start with a small tank, like the one you have behind right now, I can see in the video, it's the 25, uh, 20 if I'm not wrong. And then you start with that one and you're like, well, I'm gonna shoot more films. So you buy one more reel and you buy a bigger tank or an extension or, I really want to do color and uh, I'll get a CPE handy down or whatever. If you've got good friends like you do uh, or you buy it yourself, which they're not that expensive. And then you're like, oh, I want to do eight by 10. Then you have the job. So you can grow with it as you grow and everything will still be useful pretty much. What happens is if you go, sorry, Eric, one sec. If you go the other route, uh, it's that like I use the SP four four five for four by five many times when I just have four sheets and I'm like I'm not going to start the Jobo, but if you want to do eight by ten, they have the tray system, but it's a completely different thing. Doesn't really yield with the other machine. Like to me, is that it's like the coherence. Uh, is it overpriced? Yes. Is it does it feel like plastic from this '90s in a toy RC car? Yes. Does it work amazingly? Yes. Yeah. I say it sounds more like a like a creeping disease of some kind. Like, well, you start with this, then you get this extension, then you get like it's like it like creeps up on you. And next thing you know, you're covered in Jobo gear, unable to move out of your room because you I'll, have piles of it everywhere. I'll make a video when I move out of my studio, and you'll see. I have currently in this studio there's seven Jobo machines and probably thirty tanks. So it's it's the creeping Jobo disease, exactly. But <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's made shooting any size any format uh possible at a fraction of the price for developing i won't say the price of the machines because they're not cheap but developing you save money in chemistry uh film economy in the sense of chemistry is important when you're shooting slides or you're shooting uh c41 8 by 10 stuff like that right um they've paid for themselves many 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 times uh by the amount of film i put through them compared to paying for a lab and i love labs but sorry labs you guys don't do a great job with sheet film most of the time yeah i i i'm with you all the way i mean i've started to collect things now most of the system i started on was the 1500 series and i've got jeff perry's insert for the 1500 1510 and uh, 1520 together so that becomes a 1530 see i can speak your language <laughs> and then Jeff, you can put Jeff's insert in there, but and I've been experimenting with using that in there, and I'm getting some marks from the center arm thing that goes over. And then I bought the recently bought the fifteen twenty, and then I got the two. I got a two five. It came with it. I got a good deal on the tank and a and a two five oh nine reel, which was the four by five reel. But it was it wasn't the end. And the end version for listeners for nerdy listeners has got two little wing insert things that help with the, the flow of chemistry around the sheets and also stop the sheets flying out of the reel maybe. And, um, and I'm get, I'm now getting good results. I, I spent last weekend, I, I worked through pretty much a box of foamer pan, uh, just taking shots out in the garden into the dark room, trying different things. And, um, and, and I've got it nailed. I think now, um, 
partly because I was using the slow speed on my old CP2. It's got a, a slow speed, and no one told me because I was just didn't have any instru- well, I didn't read any instructions that I really should do it on the fast speed. And now I'm getting great results. I mean, and I've got that- a print drum. It came with a print drum as well. So yeah, that's up there somewhere. Yeah, that's for example. The print drums, there's a drum that's called, I think, the 2553, I think, which is the paper drum. You can do 8x10 on that. I've yeah, done okay, it, one, yeah. and it worked yeah. fine. I It's not recommended by anybody, but I've done it, and it worked. Uh, when I have a lot of sheet film, I I end up running out of tanks, so I use that one. But like, there's it's just Jobo was that thing that I found that fit everything I needed to do. Uh, and it worked fine. And then there was a community of people that were helpful. For example, Cat Labs of JP, who is Jobo USA. He was one of the biggest reasons why Jobo is still around. He like took over like selling it in the US when there was nothing in the US in film uh, tanks and stuff like that. So he's always been extremely helpful when I've had any questions. I recently broke, well, not recently. Recently, I decided I was going to fix one of my Jobo machines. And he told me, oh, yeah, for sure, it's this part. I just told him, like, oh, it does this noise when I lift it. And it was, like, me telling him, like, it makes, like, a clack, clack, clack. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is this piece. Uh, Right, this guy in Germany, uh, Klaus something. I'm not going to say his last name because I won't remember. Um, And basically, he'll send it to you. And it's a three-euro piece, uh, three euros, uh, so, like, $5 or maybe two pounds or something like that. that fixes a $3,000 machine and that's it. Now it should be fixed the moment I put it in and I can keep on developing automatically. Yeah, no, they are great. I think most people though, if they're trying to rationalize the purchase of one of these things, they're probably not comparing it to um, the cost of lab developing. They're thinking, well, at the moment I'm using a Patterson tank and I'm getting great results or something. So, you know, it is, it is a, a mental leap of you know, a good bit of justification needed, I think. But maybe yeah. start off if people are thinking out there of, of doing some four five processing, and you you like the idea of a Jobo system, then pick up a CP two or CP two plus, which I think has probably got a slightly better motor in it or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and and they're good to go. You know, mine doesn't. You can get fancy ones where it has like a lifting arm, where at the end of the developing sequence you lift it up and the chemicals go into a jug or something. I haven't got that. I just have to yank mine off the magnet and do oh, it. Oh, the, the, day, the day you get a lift, you'll, you'll be rebirth. Well, I, I did discover by looking on the Jobo website that they still produce a new machine. I had no idea. Yep, so they it, came and, back. And it is, this, is it the CP3? or Yeah, CPE3 would be the small version, just like yours. Yep. And then they sell the CPP3, which is P for professional, I'm guessing. Um and they're the same machine. I've had both here because, you, like I said, I work with uh, Jobo. And they actually one day suddenly in my warehouse at work, there's a huge box. And someone's like, hey, someone brought you this. I'm like, I'm not expecting anything. And it says Jobo. And I'm like, why is this here? And there was a brand new CPP3 and a CPE3 that he mm-hmm. just sent to me to take to a photo fair. And the CPP3 stayed for with me for like, I don't know, a year or two years. And I used it. Honestly, it's the same thing as the old stuff, just new. But it's yeah. exactly the same plastics. They haven't really changed anything, which is my major issue with the brand is like, come on, guys. Like, you've got a great system. Yes, it works. But, like, invest a little bit, especially if the, the machine's $3,000 plus. Well, even the CP, the one I've got, the, the, the modern version of that on, on their site, 
with the lift arm is like is is 1800 euros yeah. or something and it's this flimsy kind of plasticky material no, it's, 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 it's sorry rubbish. It's, it's rubbish it's trash the plastic is trash <laughs> it doesn't feel like anything you would hold. like if you owned a computer in the 90s uh that's like the panel on the side that's basically how they feel that plastic yeah, right. probably even worse than that you want um, you want to spend a load of money on something, and you need to justify it to yourself. You know, you need to overcome that uh, cognitive dissonance that marketeers call it. You know, and so you need to, you know, you buy something, and it's not helpful when it's kind of flimsy. <laughs> yeah, they should put some brass that you don't need on the machine just to make it look better. You know, just to make it look classy. Exactly. So your whole your whole existence now is all about film photography, Nico. What about um, when you're not on air or thinking about being on air or researching? Um, have you have you are you still in love with going out with a camera or a large format camera or medium format camera or thirty five mil camera? What do you what do you like uh, to shoot with? Well, I I have the problem of being like you said too in, invested into the community. I. For my job, I wake up very early, but now I wake up 45 minutes earlier so I can answer comments every day. So I wake up currently at four in the morning uh, every day of the week, not the weekend, um, to answer. But I do enjoy shooting, uh, but because the very limited time I have around uh, you know, shooting time is with my family. I have to include them. Uh, large format has become something I do less of. And I'm doing a lot more normal shooting. So I, my whole photography is family. Um, I shoot my kids all the time. That sounds terrible, but I take pictures of my kids <laughs> all the time. Uh, I do shoot them with Nerf guns um, and stuff like that. I got two girls, so I got to you know make them tough because as well it's not easy for women. Um, so basically, yeah, I I don't shoot as much as I would want to, but I do enjoy it. So, but I like you were saying, like I spend like ninety. 9% of my awake time film photography, either talking to people, answering comments, talking into Discord servers, answering uh, you know emails or Instagram stuff. Right now, I'm going to meet some friends to have a beer and they're film shooters, so we'll talk about film cameras. So I never get bored of this so far. So uh, actually, I have a question. Actually, I always have questions, you know me. Um, but you know, when you if you're not shooting large format because you don't have that much time and you're reaching, well, and you're reaching for gear, what do you reach for one? And two, when you're looking at the channel, then you're like, okay, I want to do a feature on a piece of equipment. Um, how do you decide what you're going to do? Like, you know, an older camera that's not in production anymore. You know, do you say, ah, I'm going to shoot the Texas Leica today. Like, you know, if Mr. 690, is it just, how do you decide what you're going to go after? Because there's so much out there, right? Yeah, and there's so much out there and so much in, in this room too. Um, but first question would be, what do I pick? Uh, when I got a studio, this is my studio where I'm at, is where I shoot the super film support and the developing stuff with this fake kitchen I built during the uh, pandemic. It's a total fake kitchen. You guys can't see it on the podcast, but I built myself a... a I, don't, I don't even own my own home, but I own a fake kitchen. Um, <laughs> so uh, when I'm shooting at I'm home, I got to pick up what's at home. And I brought all my gear to the studio because, of course, I had too much. And uh, my family were getting a little, you know, hey, daddy, you have too many cameras. So I have a couple cameras at home. The one that's always close by is uh, a Leica M2. That's my family camera of choice. Mm -hmm. 
then medium format depends on what I feel like, but I usually don't walk around with medium format. Honestly, medium format wasn't really made to walk around except for a couple exceptions. It was more made for studio work and fashion work and editorial work and, you know, all these things. So like I found out that, yeah, like I like a big negative because I do like it, but honestly shooting whatever walk around pictures of a fire hydrant on a Hazabud, it, it becomes redundant after three shots, you know? Right. So uh, Hazelblad is something I'll pick because it's small and easy to carry, but eh, I don't really shoot that much medium format like that. I I rather do portraits or you know certain projects, and then large format. Then I will really be like I really want to shoot this thing. Uh, and to answer the second part of, or second question, what do I pick to to feature on the channel? That's a really hard one, and honestly, I think everybody on the YouTube game struggles because there's two choices. There's what I want to do and what makes sense to do. And I'm and the makes sense in the economical reason. Uh, we are talking about a hobby for most people, but for people that are more committed like me or maybe you guys, other YouTubers and stuff, you have to really balance what is uh, popular at the time. So yeah, I would love to go out and shoot on my Bronica GS1 and make a whole video on it. And, you know, it's amazing. And it's the underdog. And the Mamiya guys are the gang. Or Mamiya is probably my favorite brand. But the Mamiya gang is overrated. Da, da, da. But, like, nobody will watch that. Because, yeah, I can make... I mean, not nobody, but very little amount of people. But if I w go ahead and buy a Leica M6 and walk around shooting trash pictures, <laughs> uh, it will be so hyped. Like everybody will watch it. So, and I'm talking from analytical point. Like I have analytics of what people search, what people click, how many people watch. Like it's amazing how much YouTube, I mean, do think YouTube is owned by, by Google. So it's like the second biggest uh, search engine out there. So I know everything. So if I had to make a living out of this 100%, it would be all Instax photography. Really? Oh my God. Instax is so much money compared to anything else interesting but like and i'm not exaggerating probably a 10 to 1 so uh with that said i try to balance a bit of like what do i love doing and what do i show that makes sense so i'll make one for me maybe one for them maybe two for me maybe two for them like the super film support stuff i do on mondays nobody really watches that because it's nobody's searching i don't know uh, how to use polarized filters with a rangefinder. Like I did mm -hmm. that last week and nobody's really s researching that. So I'm not going to get any hits. And like, I'm not a big YouTube channel in the sense of the bigger guys. So I'm not just making any video when I get sp sponsored by a brand and then I get, I don't know, whatever amount of money and that's it, next video next week. So I have to really pick my topics, but I do like helping the community. And like Andrew said, like I will happily help anybody about Jobo equipment. I never not, like I've never not answered an email unless I'm too busy and forget about it, which happens a lot more recently. And that's why I changed my <laughs> waking up uh, schedule. And that's the thing, like, what do you do that will be popular and pay the bills? If I had to make a full living out of YouTube, which right now it's starting to be possible, uh, maybe soon, I then would have to focus really doing like, I need to do two for the money, right. one for me, and then maybe two for the community because I know they love it. Because right. then there's a lot of different sources of income. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about on the YouTube 
film world, but income is important. We all eat. We all need a house. We all need to buy film. We all need all these things, microphones, whatever it is. And uh, as much as we love our kids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. College for kids. Uh, Thankfully, it's pretty much free around where I live and where I hope to live. Uh, But it's it's one of those things you need to think about. So, yeah, you got Patreons to help. You got sponsors. You got like donations, stuff like that. But AdSense is also a revenue. So you got to consider the algorithms and the search engines. Mm-hmm. So for you then, like you, you have to start making a series of really conscious choices of this show. There's the Lomo Insects 4x5 back. That's on pre-order. You know, we should talk about that and try to get one versus um, giving back to the community. Because one of the things you that struck me when you're talking about the Jobo, um, like the 15 minutes of, of life, life, living life a la Jobo was you know, the community around the Jobo uh, product is so massive. And there's a gentleman in Germany who has a three-euro piece that fixes everything and nobody really knows about it. And you'd have been screwed starting mm-hmm. out with Jobo without the community, right? Yeah. Um, and things like a polarizing filter is for the community. Um, and I would, I, would, I would venture that from a, a financial sense that that connection with the community and that earnestness and that like coming from the heart is as important to your brand as the connection with a large brand who's willing to pay you. Cause they're not going to be willing to pay you if you don't have a genuine connection with the community. Yeah. Like there's these two things that seem to be hand in hand, but are also completely at odds with each other. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main issue I have a lot of times when I talk to brands is like, I happily help them, but I always say, and I say this to the community too, is like, I don't sell anything. I don't sell t-shirts. I don't sell, you know, uh, reels. Uh, you were talking about the reels from Jeff, which are 20th century camera. Uh, I don't sell, you know, uh, plugins. I don't sell cameras like Intrepid or I don't sell light meters like Reveni. So like what I sell is what I can do, which is community and, and information and, and hopefully putting, you know, two and two together. Uh, be it I introduce Andrew to someone that maybe can help him with his developing problems if he had them or whatever it is. So my only way of income is that, is the community, uh, be it the brands, be it the uh, private people that want to support. Uh, so that's how I basically justify it to myself. And it's come to a point which is extremely interesting. And this is one of those things that, like I was saying, I can't really share with anybody out of the world of film photography is that my channel is basically uh, financed by both community, be it, you know, someone in vietnam that sponsors or you know germany or anywhere uh as a patreon but also brands and their film brands and i'm getting i'm finally uh able to say that film brands that never thought they could sponsor something because they're newbies or they're old school are doing it because i provided them for example with the news which is something everybody wants and they are helping so it's come to that point where i'm probably the only channel that i know of or maybe media that is both paid by the community and the brands. And that to me is extremely rewarding thinking, man, I really have the public and I have the brands on my side and not everybody likes what I do. And uh, I've lived, like I was telling you guys before we recorded, I've been a moderator on a film photography forum for 10 years. I do know people hate what I do and probably hate that I talk about money and I, you know, whatever it is, they'll always some, somebody that won't like it. And it's fine with me. I don't like myself half the time. Um, so it's, it's absolutely fine. I, somebody wrote me about my mustache, which we were talking at the beginning and said, why you look silly. And I said, that's exactly why I have it. 
Because every morning when I wake and I look at the mirror, I laugh. And that makes me start my day <laughs> with like a laugh. And every time I, I edit the news, I crack up because I'm like, oh, my God, the mustache and my hair is all crazy. Like Andrew was saying, like, and that I, laughing is part of it. Like, I don't take myself seriously. Same as the YouTube channel. Like, I take it seriously. But like, I don't mind making a video that I think won't render well because I'm like, you know what? Like we were saying we could curse. I'm going to make this video. I don't care if it does like it plummets. I don't mind my analytics. As long as the community has my back, the brands have my back, and eventually Instax cameras have my back uh, because they're the one paying the bills half the time, is is that. like I don't mind it. So I'm not so concerned. I don't take it so seriously. It's just for fun. I, but, um, but it's I have not. To, I, have, I have to say, you're out of the... I subscribe to a lot of YouTube channels, and some of them irritate me, but I still follow them and i don't know why there's a kind of um masochism or whatever um but yours i don't there's nothing really that you do that i find offensive and in fact to be honest the the, the way you deal with the community i think is just commendable you know you have such a lovely way about you when when you're explaining things you know you you're very open and honest and you you don't bullshit you know you're uh, if you don't know stuff, sometimes you say, well, I haven't read the manual. You know, you, you were trying to explain to people how to do a long exposure on a GW690. Yep. And and then the next one, someone had clearly written to you and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't do it like this. Now, yeah. then, you know, And you handle all those kind of bits of feedback really, really well. And I remember, um, and I'd, I'd love you to talk a little bit about it, perhaps uh, the Oro, I can never say it, O-R-W. Oro, uh, yeah. yeah. You did a there was a sort of you you talk about a bit of a rumor going around about the new color film, and then someone must have challenged you, and you came back the no. next week, and <laughs> and you you just handled it really well. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. Uh, well, I think I take what I do extremely seriously. I do say F it every now and then, uh, but I take it extremely seriously. To me, film is something. That if a film ever disappears, I'm stopping photography. I don't care about anything else. And I love technology. I'm a super techie guy. I love cameras and all my subscriptions on YouTube are film channels or like, you know, video cameras and gear like that. Gerald and Dunn stuff, you know. Uh, if you don't know who he is, go Google him. He's a pretty crazy guy. Um, he's fun. But uh, when I do the news, I take it extremely seriously, but I don't always have the time to do all the research sometimes. So, when I said, oh, it looks like uh, Orwell might be coming back with color. Uh, and I say, like, it's not official. It's, it's a like a hunch or whatever you want to say. I don't know say what the word um, in Spanish, presentimiento, um, that it's going to happen. And this guy went on, like, you're just making up the news. And I was like, <laughs> first of all, no, I'm not making up the news. And these are rumors. There's websites that make a great living on rumors, you know, like, big big money like canon rumors fuji rumors sony rumors all those people are making a ton of money for through affiliate links and whatnot so i'm not making that up i i have a glimpse of things and i wasn't sure and i i work in a factory and i spend eight hours with like 90 decibels of noise all the time so headphones like what i'm wearing now is what i live with and i have a lot of time to think and i was like well I know that Orwell did this and Orwell did that and then this there. And I puzzled it together. And I was like, okay, I have enough information to make like a coherent uh, journalistic piece on YouTube. Uh, and I might sound too pretentious, but that's what I felt like. 
Um, so I went ahead and made that video answering Joe Boy's probably going to make color in some way or manner soon. And there's information out there that people don't really know. For example, that Lomography film is not made by Kodak, uh, not all of it. The 100, 400, and uh, 800 is Kodak gold cut into Lomography color. Um, but then, or so I've been told or heard, once again, not spreading rumors, just what I think is that. Um, and then, for example, the experimental films, I will call them that, Metropolis or Lomo Purple, are made by these people in Germany called Innova Scope or Filmotech. I never remember the names correctly. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, so I was like, I can make this a proper piece. So I got the information. I got a store in Spain to send me, uh, because when you buy film, it has to say where it's made. So they sent me the labels, and it said, like, Lomochrome was made in Germany. So, yes, there's color being made in Germany. Uh, and it's, you know, Lomography specialty film color, not portrait tones. But it, it was done. So I did that. I made that video because I take it very seriously. So the same as you said, like, I made a mistake with the long exposure. I'm pointing at the Fuji that I have next to me. And someone on a Discord server very nicely told me, hey, Nico, it's not really like that. They don't recommend that. I was like, oh, my God, I messed up. Okay. Uh, so I looked it up officially. No, you have to change the from T time to uh, one second. And that's how you do it. If not, you advance the film. And I was like, I don't want to put misinformation out there. So I went ahead and filmed the whole video again, edited it and put it out. Uh, because, yeah, to me, as much as I don't take it, too seriously i do take the end result seriously so be it an interview with a brand or be it a review or how to load film i try to put out proper information there's one video that still has wrong information out there which is the pentax six by seven which i messed up the whole prism change lens part and mm -hmm. i now know that uh youtube will let you go into the video and edit out things so i have to go in and cut like 10, 15 seconds where I mess up and that will be like, why is there a jump cut? <laughs> and it'll be like, well, because I messed up. Nice. But yeah, I, I take it seriously. And I try to be as, you know, um, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you know, correct with people because it's so easy to say like, oh, fuck you. You're not right. I'm right. Or screenshot a comment of haters or whatever. But most of the times the haters are the ones that love you more. Because they took the time to write you something. And there's a little bit of truth in every hate comment. Be it, hey, your mustache looks silly. Yes, it does. Or be it, hey, you made this thing wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know what I was talking about. And uh, I think we talked about this before recording, like the videos I did on large format, like uh, like a Linhoff or a Toyo uh, 45A. I wasn't really knowing what I was doing. No, I wasn't. Because there's no other video out there explaining how to use those cameras so if i'm making my first video and i challenge you to go ahead and download the manual and try to make a video yourself and try to not make mistakes like it's not easy so i'm trying to do these things but yeah like when someone says you don't know what you're doing i'm like you're correct i did not but it's better than nothing right well, what have you got out there so i saw the toyo and i saw the lindhoff i can't remember if i've seen any more so for people getting into large format photography, and, and you know, I started off and bought a Sinar F, which I then upgraded. Eventually, I had a Sinar P2 and realized this thing was way too heavy, way too big, way too complicated for what I know. So I sold it. I kind of wish I'd have kept it now and bought the, uh, and bought the Toyo. 
you know, I don't know. And But I would have loved to have just gone to a video and said, well, I wasn't sure what the difference between that was to a Wister SP something or other or this, that. Well, there's a few of those, aren't there? Those sort of cameras that look kind of look a bit the same. So, you know, you've at least there's something out there now. And I don't know how many others you've, you've done on sort of large format. Well, was it? My idea is to do it all. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> somebody asked me a couple of years ago, uh, what do you want to do with your YouTube channel? I was like, I want to become the library of the internet about film photography. Yeah. Like first, because it makes more sense than making, oh, walking around my city shooting portrait videos. Uh, and I respect people to do that. I think it's cool. It's like entertainment. And at the end of the day, YouTube is also very important to entertainment. Um, but yeah, like I want to be the library. If I can do like, uh, what was it? Boot, but cuss, boot uh, I don't mm -hmm. know what his name. That's another yes. one for you. Oh, come on, Simon, you say it. What is his but, name? Yeah. I go with, I say book cuss. Yeah, I'd say book <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, so that one. So like that guy has every manual online pretty much. And if I could do that with videos, I would love it because people are more visual than readers, uh, sadly, but including myself. So yeah, like that was the idea is like, if you're buying a large format camera, and this is a question I get all the time, I'm sure you guys get it on the podcast too or in private on the Facebook group, is like, what camera do I buy? And 99% of the times nowadays is an Intrepid or, uh, and I'm like, okay. And I have videos where I talk harshly about Intrepid because I love the company as what they are doing, but I think they have to improve in many things. And that's the first thing we should all do is be able to look at ourselves and say, what do I do that's terrible? And let's improve it. Uh, and I try to do that as much as I can. I, once again, not capable of doing everything perfectly. So I, I, I'm very bad at a lot of things. Um, but yeah, like Intrepid versus, I don't know, Toyo or Chamonix. Someone was like, the Chamonix cameras. And like, someone's like, oh, you can't compare them. I'm like, but this person asked for this. So I'm comparing right. it for this person. And yeah, they're totally different cameras. But they're, you got to see them. And once you see them in video, maybe you're like, oh, well damn, I didn't know the Chamonix was, you know, so nice or eh, really kind of looks the same, you know, because it kind of looks the same. Uh, so I try to show those things and I, I don't know, I, I see no harm in making more, uh, even if it's for that quick information piece that you need or visual piece. Like I have a Toyo, what is it, TX or VX 125, which is extremely rare. Um, it's not mine, it's a friend's. Not everything you see on the internet is true, guys, just for those people listening. I don't own everything I show. Uh, so I do have a lot of good friends. And basically, that camera is so rare that a lot of people have written me like, where do you get it? I'm like, it's not mine. And they're like, I have a piece, but I'm missing. And like you said, you start with a CNR F. That's the camera I recommend 99% of the times if I can, because there's so many parts. It's like if you buy, a, I don't know, cars, but let's say Toyota or Honda, it's like everybody has a hundred million pieces of Hondas and Toyotas because they sell everywhere. But if you say, hey, I have an Aston Martin from 1954, how many freaking pieces of that are there around the internet? None. Yeah. You have to be really, really good at making your own parts, basically, exactly. for a lot of these. Like, I love the little old Olympus XA, the little rangefinders, those little clamshells. They're brilliant. I think the design, the industrial design is genius. A little flip open. Um, which they carried forward to uh, the little MJU. Mew. You know, yeah, the Mew. I, those stylus. Are, yeah, that is the most brilliant. The, the fixed lens stylus is the most brilliant travel camera I've ever used, like for bicycle trips and whatever, weatherproofed. Like, 
if you had to force me to take one camera on my bicycle trips, period, no digital, no nothing, I would take my Olympus because I know what it's going to do and it's bulletproof. But back to the Olympus XA is like they have a little circuit board and when they die, they're dead. Yeah. So as brilliant as they are, there's no bringing them back. And you never know when you buy one if you're going to get one roll, no rolls, or 300 rolls. And so buying used camera equipment gets, gets really, really difficult. And that whole parts availability, either manufactured or available or self-made or whatever, becomes increasingly important. Yeah, no. Travel like the, ca- Sorry, Nika, no. come on. No, no, no. I was going to say Linhoff, which is some another uh, fan group that I always upset. Uh, <laughs> I find them extremely well-made, but it also a lot of people put a lot of beat to them and they get very used and there's people that are repairmen that just repair those cameras right there's uh what is his name the la flex uh in i think he's in la he does an amazing job he's on instagram stories all the time breaking them down and putting them together and i'm amazed at that but like that wouldn't happen for all the brands so like for that reason i'll recommend a linhoff before maybe a toyo because toyo cameras they break where are you going to get a part Right. I think you're, it's a great call. I wanted to ask you about scanning in a minute because there's lots of developments out there for different scanning options, and I know you've featured most of them on your show. But before I ask you that question, you made that point. Of, and, again, it's about people coming into large-format photography. And, and you said, surprisingly, I think, for a lot of people, you recommended a monorail camera. And, and But the reasons you recommended it was spot on, I think, because you know if you if you buy one and it's got – loads of holes in the bellows. Okay, you can fix it with some li- liquid insulation tape or whatever. But you can just unclip it and go and get another one. And if, you, if you've if you got a front standard, you can get one for not much money. If you Or you could get a P standard and put it at the back and it becomes a Sinar P... X. Well, oh, no, something. Sinar C, or, C, I think, C, was the front. Maybe. And you can just keep playing with it. Or you can just <coughs> stay, you know, if, you, if you've got... The, the bits are everywhere, aren't they? And And, I, and, and actually, you can compress that sign rf down and and break it down into bits stick it in a backpack and you can still you could still hike you could still well, hike with that andrew like I'll, I'll do it the other way let's say you, you have could. like what if you're getting into large format and everyone listening to this is either getting into it already into it probably already into it um too late to turn around um <laughs> you're stuck with us now <laughs> yeah like large format you think about the price of things you need all these bits and bobs of things loops you know, lenses, cable releases, uh, cl- uh, dark cloth, sturdy tripod, three-way head, da-da-da, you name it. The camera almost becomes the cheapest part of it all. Like, as a whole, it's, it's the most expensive part. But at the same time, it's the cheapest compared to the rest. So if you're buying a Intrepid or a Chamonix or a Linhoff brand new, you're going to spend pretty much the same amount of money on everything else. So if I could buy... A Cinar F2 for 250 euros, which they are around. And the thing is, these cameras were like 10,000 back in the day. And uh, I can buy an Intrepid for whatever, 250 pounds or something like that. I think that's the the, the price they have. Is like, are you going to buy a secondhand Audi that is still brand new and you can buy all the parts in the world for pennies? Or are you going to buy this, I don't know, Das? I don't know what brand of car is like, you know, equivalent to an intrepid but you know what i mean like the scenar is so cheap is so good there's so many parts 
The only problem is it's, it's slightly bigger, but that's actually good. And this is something nobody says about lightweight cameras and I won't name any brand, but yeah, lightweight cameras, there comes to a point they're not good because they're too lightweight. Because a little bit of wind will move them everywhere because they won't lock properly and all these things. So it's like a sturdy camera will get a long way. And I, I'm a huge fan of Cinar or Cynar. I don't know how to say that either. Um, tomato, but tomato. Yeah, yeah. So to me, is that like, how can I not recommend a brand like that? And then there's the graphics, which after 50 year, years or 60, the bellows are still three times stronger than anything else, you know? <laughs> It's so. actually hilarious. You listed all the things that like a large front photographer needs, like sturdy tripod, three-way head, loop, dark hat, cloth, high, like a decent lens. I have none of those things. Expensive hat? I have no, I don't even have an expensive hat. I have like a really cheap, lightweight, two-pound tripod, no three-way head, no loop, no dark cloth. Um I'm, I'm glad you just said too, I'm, too I'm, light too lightweight of a camera. I'm glad you just said loop then, because I thought you said lube at first. I was thinking, where's well, this going? He might need that know, too. Yeah, you might. You might need that. Depends on how for the bicycle. The is. <laughs> it's lovely to hear from you, Simon, with a very insightful <laughs> comment at last. But, but yeah, I was like, damn, I have none. Put of your finger right things. on it <laughs> with the lube. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, clearly, Eric, you're not a proper large format photographer. That's all. I know. I've been or, saying or, that for years. Or he, or we're not seeing the other side of the bedroom that has all these like uh, masochism things because he loves <laughs> not having a three way. Like you can do all these things without a three way head, but like, I'm sorry, like challenge me to like go shoot architectural photography with me anytime, anybody in the world with a three way head and a oh, ball yeah. head. And like oh. I'll 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 freaking take coffee and pasta and like you know like, the pastas like I don't know what macaroons whatever there and I'll sit down and 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 eat and drink while you're still trying to level that thing. Ooh. It's impossible. Yeah, 100%. I'm not saying it's a good thing that I don't have any of these things. I'm laughing at myself that I don't have. Any oh of yeah. These things. I I have I have some and I don't have others. Yeah. I mean, I would love a three-way head, especially as I wander into heavier cameras and other things. Like, honestly, shooting um, with the speed graphic and that lightweight tripod, it's a giant pain <coughs> in the ass a lot Exactly. Of the time. So you like the sadomasochism, I'm telling you. I, I, I do. I do. But there's also a thing of like... The bicycle seat, you know? That's yeah, part of it. Yeah. Like those tripods and like how much more weight is that? They add 10 pounds to your kit. Like, f You know, do I fiddle yeah. with a ball head? For a little bit, or no tripod like, head. Yeah, yeah. I just I've done that, like no tripod head, and just like push one leg higher and be like, okay, I think that's the the I've limit where it will go front heavy and fall. Dude, I've totally done that. That's actually how I scan my negatives with a DSLR <laughs> with a shitty tripod, like one head one one leg up further than the others with a really heavy weight to the back to keep it from tilting yeah. over with the weight. I've done DSLR. that. I've done okay. that for video, and it's it's turned out bad a couple of times. It's terrifying. Scanning, scanning negatives. I did want to ask um, Nico. You you've you've been showcasing. There's so many different ways of digitizing negatives that are coming onto the market. Um, what uh, what's most impressed you out of all the different things that you've seen, uh, particularly with one eye on large format? But it doesn't necessarily need to be large format because you you I see these various systems. I'm not. I I tend to switch off because I'm not really into scanning. But um, just tell us a little bit about some of the options out there for digital scanning, digitizing, particularly four by five negatives. I, I think I hate scanning too. I'll start there too. Andrew, I'm with you. I think scanning is just, it defeats the fun of it. 
It's like if you cook the meal and you're taking selfies with it before you eat it, you know, I, I, I just want to, I just want to Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I just want to go ahead and put it in the enlarger and do a, a print or a contact print. Um, but I mean, there's been a bunch of products. They've got the pixelator. We have the negative supply. We have uh, this guy, Abdi made one for four by five too. Like, honestly, I understand the future in many ways could be that route for 35 and 120. Um, I think for large format, it's not there yet. I find that, you know, you need a flat negative. You need a way to keep dust out of it. You need a way, uh, all these ways to like make the best you can. As I don't like scanning, I treat scanning as basically, let me put this on social media. Nobody cares if it's absolutely flat and square. So I'll throw it on uh, my Epson V, I don't know, 700 or something I have. And I'll just go like, I throw it on the scanner and hit scan. And basically I'll have Newton rings that nobody can see because of course we're putting it on Instagram. So who cares? Uh, or I'll send it to my WhatsApp relatives and family members. And I'll be like, look, a picture of your grandchildren on large format. And they'll be like, oh, the kid looks great. What's large format, you know? Uh, <laughs> so because nobody cares. Why didn't uh, you use your phone like a normal yeah, person? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, every time I post something like that in a family group, I always think, they probably think like, what the f is he doing, doing all this for that, you know? But yes, we love it. Uh, once again, you know, I think we're sadomasochist or something like it. But I think all these new tools are first generation in a way. There's no tech to them. I mean, they're just a rectangle. It could be a, uh, how do you say, like, um, like a frame from the one pound shop and you take off the picture of that ugly woman with colorful dress and you put your negative on top and just shoot. So I'm not saying they don't have some stuff to it, but I think that if you're trying to digitize a flatbed is pretty much never a bad investment. Like uh, I think the Epson 4990 is like the old school V700. It does like four by five, five by seven, eight by 10. You just put it on the glass and that's go let's go. If you're digitizing with a digital camera, then a light i like one of the guys i'm meeting now for a beer he scans just putting his negative on a light table with some tape and he got does yeah. amazing results like that so no disregard to the brands making stuff but i think large format is so simple in that way that it's just a piece of paper call it film and you're just trying to shoot it from the top so i don't think we should spend a lot of money uh for something that doesn't have any software doesn't have anything, no digital ice, no nothing like that. So I will just use it sometimes, but not really. Like I'll scan with the Epson large format. And I have the negative supply one, but the bottom is like acrylic or something, which is like making your holder like as dust friendly as possible, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't use it. They've changed since then. I think if um, if you want to go out and buy an Epson flatbed Epson Epson flatbed scanner, eight fifty is probably still available new. I think I saw oh, an advert pop up on They're Facebook. So expensive. No, get the seven fifty. It's the same thing. But can you it's... buy them new if you wanted to buy them new? No, but I mean, come on, guys. Can you buy your camera new? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like can, can you buy your lens new? Can you buy like a, a half the stuff we use new? No. Uh, the Epson V50 and V700, uh, sorry, the V500, nah, I'm messing up. The, the 700, 700 and the 750 yeah. uh, 
are exactly the same as the 800 and 850, except the light source changed the LED. And I think okay. they added like one more little, like there, there's basically no difference. No. And then if the V500, 600, whatever number they are, 550, uh, if it would do four by five, it's the same. I've compared one next to the other with 120, exactly the same. Because first of all, Epson or whoever is usually lies half the time with the resolution. It's like interpolated or whatever you call it. And they're adding pixels that are not, I don't know what that magic is happening. I'm not a digital guy. Um, but yeah, like you don't really need like the latest and greatest. And this, the Epson 4990, 4990 is like an older version. It came with masks for everything. They usually sell on like Craigslist or whatever secondhand, you know, weird website that people have in their country for like 50 bucks. Yeah, I have one. The challenge is, is uh, software compatibility, making sure it's actually... Uh, ViewScan. With, with, yeah. yeah. ViewScan. Like, ViewScan is like the book tooth of, like, software. Like, he makes right. everything work. And then the second challenge with older scanners is inevitably there's a shit ton of dust underneath the glass. Oh, I made or a video it, on how to clean that. Yeah, it's so exactly. easy. And you have to disassemble them and, and clean them, you know, use yeah. the whole anti-static cloth and, like, some high quality and a lot of, like... The dust rocket. What about but, the uh, Sony? I'm, I'm staring at my V500, which is the only film scanner I've ever had. I've had it about eight or nine years now, and it's fine, you know. But I, I don't. It's just for throwing stuff up there on, as you said, for Instagram or, or whatever. And I, and I just hate it really. I, I don't mind. I go and scan a print which I've made in the darkroom. That's that's kind. That's kind of all right. But um, is it on the 750s or the 700s? The carrier, there's supposed to be an improved carrier where you can adjust the, the scan the height. height. And I've seen people saying that's made a great – I think Nick Carver even did a video, and he said it made such a difference, which why I was kind of interested when you talk about you just throwing it down on the glass. Isn't there like an optimum I mean, height that it's supposed to be? I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, a little bit of information on that. The Epsons are also made to scan magazines. So – where in the world are you going to put a magazine in a holder? No, doesn't exist. So you put your magazine on top of the glass. Yeah, well, like so, you would for a... Exactly, know, a like a normal picture. photocopy machine or whatever yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. So I've scanned Polaroids and I've scanned magazines for PD. Like I've gone, like, bought, like, the manuals for cameras. And I even had a feature on my YouTube channel that were manuals only, which that was the geekiest I've ever gone, I think. Uh, and I would video and just flip the pages because those manuals to me are so cool because sometimes you miss what parts what i'm getting out of the way um so i've scanned magazines on the epson and they were tack sharp so if that was sharp and i've done polaroids and they were tack sharp so why like film i found it's sharp enough like i've never found a flaw except for newton rings and nick carver i respect him tremendously he is a fine uh, art photography photographer. That's what Americans call themselves. Um, hey now. It's it's true. It's that's everybody's a fine art photographer, and I'm sure he is. Uh, he's a great photographer. I'm not making fun of that part, but like he makes a living out of this. He sells prints. He makes massive prints. So like he's looking for optimal resolution. He's probably tested and he's very thorough with his stuff. So maybe it's true, but honestly, I don't care. I really don't care. Because if I want optimal sharpness, I'll just buy the latest Fuji medium format, whatever, and shoot something and point at a bunch of bricks and see if there's distortion, make my own presets and, you know, whatever. 
I'm shooting film because I enjoy it. And if I want to make a something that looks great, I'll go in the enla uh, enlarger or darkroom. I'll make yeah. a contact print and I'll uh, send it to you. And we wait for we wait for Intrepid to bring out their eight by ten. So that you know they've got their new thirty five one twenty um, coming out, a, haven't they? Yeah, the eight by ten enlarger is such a bad idea. And being an owner of one, it's like uh, Eric was saying, the dust. Like, speak about yeah. size and dust probability. If a four by five has three specks of dust, an eight by ten has four times more. Um, the carrier of the eight by ten is eight by ten, so all the corners are full of dust, and you can't really clean it because it's basically that you know, like when you're trying to hoover the corner in your kitchen, and you're like, how do I get to that little corner? Uh, well, it's the same thing. Like, it's really hard to clean and get clean. Like I got my eight by 10 and larger because I was like, eight by 10 is the thing to have. You know, I want to print eight by 10 huge. Like everybody thinks about before getting into the darkroom and doing really, uh, you know, work. And then when I got it, I did an eight by 10, I think on 16 by 20 paper. I was like, this is such a work, like so much work, so much yeah. dust, so much. And I was like, I'm never ever doing an enlarged eight by 10. I'm only doing contact prints, which are beautiful. And speaking of that, I I went to the new top topographics um, exhibit here in the museum a couple of years ago, and there was like contact prints of Nicholas Nixon and uh, Stephen Shore and all the and I was like those prints looked so good, and I mean so good. I was like, if they look good for them, it looks good for me, and that's what I go like. I do I only do contact prints on eight by ten now. I do contact prints on four by five and then a large four by five every now and then for like eight by 10 ish uh, because sometimes I want to, but that's it. And I have an 11 by 14, which I bought before the enlarger thinking, Oh, I'll just do 11 by 14 contact prints. And I've done a couple and it's amazing. But How yeah. You, can I ask you a question then? Because I've done a little bit of contact printing and, and the control, unless you've got a really perfect negative, whatever that is, you know, uh, there's still going to be some local dodging and burning. And that, that's, I find that pretty hard to do when contact prints, because you can't, you know, with a projected image, you, you can see the image, can't you? And you can put things in, in the, in the light yeah. path, but trying to do dodging and burning with a contact print is. I never trouble. had much of a problem. I mean, when I do contact prints, most of the time, first of all, contact prints retain pretty much all the, it's the maximum amount of detail you can contain because guess, you're not enlarging yeah. it. Yeah. So the moment you enlarge something, the bigger the differences will be. So okay. the darker areas and the lighter areas, there'll be less gray in the middle. So the mm -hmm. tones disappear. And actually, if you make a four by five of a 35 mil print and then you or negative, sorry, and then you do an eight by 10, you'll lose uh, like the grays and you have to work more uh, into getting the same result. If you can even get it, I don't think I could. Um, but when I'm doing contact prints, first of all, you have like the most amount of detail and grayscale. And then I usually rarely dodge and burn 8x10 stuff. I never shoot mm. like a super high contrast scene. And if I did, which I have done before with a friend that's a way better printer than I am in the darkroom, he did an 8x10 of my wife with a white background that was in the sun. He managed to make that white background have detail by just burning the hell out of it. I mean, you're seeing the projected image pretty much. Uh, well, not the image, but once the light is hitting, you kind of see it because the paper is white, the negative is yeah, black and white. Yeah, so you kind of see it. I mean, on four by five, I would never try. 
like i mean four by five is so small like where do you put your hand in like you gotta have like a like you know like little mice like <laughs> little things like <laughs> dodge and burn like a little eye here like eight by ten is a little bigger and 11 by 14 is even bigger okay well now it seems like a stupid question i ask you so <laughs> i um no but, but that I, brings us that brings I us think, back no, to I'd like of... to try. I'd like to yeah. try some. I'll, I shall now go and do some 4x5 contact prints because I've never really done it. I just put it in my... I've got the Devere 4x5 enlarger. And, and, oh, do postcards. Like you said, do the I postcard. Do. Yeah. postcard. I, I had a project with a travel wide where I was going to shoot every day for a year. I bought 400 sheets of film and I shot them in three months. And that's when I was like, okay, I can't do this because I'm shooting way too much film. And uh, my developing backlog was huge. And I was shooting Fomapan 400 push to 1600. And I was handhold. so much fun. It's so, like, and the quality is amazing. Like, that film at 16, I, I, I went for the massive dev chart and they, I didn't do any testing. I just developed it, boom, batched, the, like, everything the same. No N, N plus one. And I'm sorry for those that love that. It's not for me. Um, and I basically did that. And when I did the contact prints, the prints look amazing. Like, yeah. the grain is barely there because you're doing contacts. The paper also usually kind of absorbs or, you know, swallows that grain into that texture i all i print is always ilford warm tone fiber base which to me looks lovely and it's the i think it's the shiny one which is not that shiny mm. um the the matte one is way too matte and basically yeah that's what i did and i realized this looks amazing why should i do more yeah the, with the travel in particular it's fun to shoot like i, I did that exact same experiment once the tmx 3200 came out like let's shoot this in the middle of the day, get huge chunky grain and just like maximum aperture. And I'm like, but you could do that with a travel wide, push the film to 1600 and shoot like huge depth of field and just really point and shoot the travel wide the way it was sort of intended to and get this really high contrast, no grain at all. Cause it's four by five. Like, yeah, sh- sure. Let's do this. I it shot, the, I had fun. two, I had two for a while. I actually have two again. Now I bought another one. Uh, and I had one with a 65, which was, you know, with no shims, uh, no helical. And right. then it had one with a 90 with a helical. And I, I would walk around and my, my, there's a video out there. You can, guys could search for it. It's like travel wide backpack or something, uh, four by five. And I, my l- strap was a shoelace because you couldn't really put any strap on it. And I would use a shoelace and a strap, and that's what I shot. I went to London, and I shot in a film and beer meeting, which is what I used to do, like a little meet and greet uh, thing with the negative supply guy, negative feedback guys. And I had a shoestring also doubled as flash distance. So I would put the shoestring to their face, and that was exactly my flash at 1-1 power F22. And I have shots of them like that, and I did portraits with it. Uh, so it, it was such a fun camera, but the problem was that like I shot so much film so fast that I was like, I can never develop this at a you know reasonable rate. So I just thought it's like using the the converted Polaroid one tens into a range of four by five rangefinder. Like I've I've converted an eight hundred, <laughs> sort of the same form factor, but a different lens. And you just shoot. It's like it's like shooting rangefinder street photography. Leica, but with a four by five, and you just and, rip through the film. And Foma like Foma Pan here in Europe, uh, at least in Germany, Maco Direct or uh, Photo Impex, which is where I get my stuff, is like thirty euros for fifty sheets. Yeah, so it's, it's like cheap. eighty cents a shot. Like it's mm-hmm. cheaper than shooting any color negative nowadays. 
in any format. So I was like, yeah. this is so cheap. Let me just shoot 14 pictures. And I made this project that I was going to shoot every single day. So I would go into Bilbao, which is the city I live in. Uh, I live in the outskirts. I would go to Madrid. I went to London. I would shoot every day. I, I shot the Tate Modern. I shot everywhere. And it was like, I would walk around with a dumb key. I don't know, the small one. I don't know what the name is. They have the worst naming system. It's like uh, F802 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or the yeah. F F2 or F6, the smaller one, not the super, yeah, yeah. super small. And I would have my travel wide with like seven film holders, which are double. So you got two shots plus a light meter, which is a Sekonic 308. And no viewfinder. I never used the viewfinder because I got so used to it that I just knew what was in and what wasn't in. And uh, I loved it. I just shot too much. The travel wide. Did those guys ever resurface or is that? Is you that one you, run and... you want to watch my channel soon. I won't say more. <laughs> oh, I would say it's interesting because they kicked off that whole like single body cone movement. Yeah, they were the that first was, ones, weren't they? They were years yeah. ago. I would say they yeah. were too early. There was yeah. like, you know, mm. when there's like tech and you're like, this was too early. Well, they were too early for the game. I was their backer number four. That's how excited I was when they came out on the Kickstarter. I bought mine for 40 bucks. That was their early bird something. And I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I loved the concept. I loved how they made it. Uh, ben, who's one of the co-founders, I've talked to him many times. I would not say we're friends. We're internet friends or at least acquaintance. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, acquaintances. <clears throat> I'm Spanish, by the way, just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically that was that was a lot of fun and there will be some news on travel wise we're gonna have to put, let's just pause it here a moment because i'm not sure whether we're still recording simon says he's lost sound yeah oh. so we don't we're not sure are we yeah. still recording simon you can't even i guess say. we'll find out i mean i, I, I think he, he was wanting us to start winding that. down mindful of your time anyway hang on sir. yeah of beers um, are we still he's lost recording? sound yeah. yeah, I don't know what he means by that. Whether he just can't hear us, or you'll have to finish off without me. Oh well. Oh, oh well. I don't know if we can. Like that beautiful film noir look. It, no, he, he has a very so he has a very good. professional way of finishing the podcast. Oh, he says yes. Carry on. Okay, so we'll take a we'll take a pause and and then we'll perhaps start to wind the show down. I'm mindful of your time constraints. You can have Eric, your beers in um, the sun, Eric. Not Eric. Uh, Nico. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> We'll take a slight pause and, um, but yeah, dude, travel wides are, um, super fun. We'll take a slight pause. <laughs> okay. So I think we probably need to start winding things down a bit, mainly because Simon's just disappeared and he's left us to it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> so we await the special news all about, uh, travel wide uh, is that I'm, coming soon then nico is that uh... i it was meant to be recorded on december so oh, okay. let's say it will be out when it's out exciting well, stuff it's kind of like the like the neat the, the travel wise themselves like they were sort of out when they were out like they were super late but again they were ahead of the curve and they they just didn't i don't think anybody back then what five years ago six years ago actually really understood the Kickstarter and mass production of bespoke things the way they do now, right? Like now yeah. they got down to a science and Ravani Keegan, Matt can just pump these things out. Like, it's no, down. I mean, they, they, I think their biggest problem was they did not understand, uh, like injection, like the whole process. 
Mm-hmm. So they probably lost a lot of the money, I think, trying to figure that out. I think they even made a couple like molds that didn't work. So he he basically said, like, if I would have known there was like experts in this, I would have hired them. Um, right. But yeah, I think that's basically the main concern that yeah. happened there. But there will be news soon on them. Um, and we'll see. Uh, honestly, I still haven't spoken properly all about it, but. As soon as I have that, it'll be on the news, and you guys will know about it. Uh, Excellent. Sweet. Well, I think on on that note, on that note, I think it's a good time Perfect to teaser. start to wind things down. Simon's wandered off. We know Simon's yes. wandered off because we're staring at an empty chair. So, Nico, what? thank you so much for being with us this week. It's been a real, a real pleasure. Just remind folks listening where they can go to keep up with everything that you do. Uh, I would suggest that every time you Google something, I'm probably like one of the top videos <laughs> on the top because I make a lot of videos. But Nico's Photography Show on YouTube and then on social media, I'm under my name, uh, Nicolas Yacera, which is probably not easy to understand. But you guys, I'm sure, will put it on the show notes, if not on the we title. Yeah. Uh, but through YouTube, you can find all the socials, too, if you need to. So that's where I am at. And emails, websites, uh, it's nicosphotographyshow.com, then Superfilm Support, which is where I basically geek out once a week and try to help anyone, newbies or not. So, yeah, many ways no, to no. find me. That's great. Your, your film support, Superfilm Support, is a great little offshoot. Yes. Eric, where do folks find you when you're not here with us? Uh, my head buried in the sand somewhere, but... Um, Pretty much online only Instagram nowadays. So E R I K H M A T H Y. That's pretty much it. Okay, and I'm simple. S- Simon can be found. Um, where can he be found? The, the, oh, Classic Lenses Podcast. Is that what it is? We don't know, yes. do we? Yes. Something yes. like that. We could. And he has a website. Just... He has a website where he sells lens caps and does things. Yes, he's been on the news. It, yes, he, you've had his. What have you had on his lens caps? I've, or I've oh had no, some his inserts for pics later. Yeah, for the pixelator, I've had him on the news. Yeah, so he makes the inserts, some of the inserts for the pixelator. I think he works with Hamish on that. And as for me, you can find me either here or in the Lensless Podcast Facebook group, or every couple of weeks on the Lensless Podcast. And I'm Warboy Snapper on most medium. Um, what else do we have to say to wrap this show up? Um, we uh, pro- oh, people can give us a cup of coffee if they can find it. So we don't really know if it's very easy to find. We don't think it is, but we do have a coffee account. And Simon may have had donations, but we don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll just say that, uh, Nico, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, yeah. Absolute pleasure finally, like again, crossing paths with you. Albeit virtually, I can't wait to uh, see where you go. You know, I mean, we know where you're going, right? But we can't, we yeah. can't break this. We can't, we can't break the story. Oh, you, you can do. say I've said it before. Uh, yeah, I'm moving to Finland, so I'll yeah. be there. But like, and what you said at the beginning, that road trip around the U.S. That's going to happen the moment I can, okay. uh, you know, travel properly. So that will happen. The problem is, since I first thought about that idea till today, there's probably like 20 more stops. So I need right. like a whole month of driving through the U.S. to fulfill that. But I'm, I'll be in your part of town soon. All right, let's do it. I had a month driving around the U.S., but that's another, another story. So <laughs> if you donated to the coffee account, thank you very much. Uh, if you've emailed us, Thank you very much. We'll get around to reading those. Eric, where can people send emails to if they want to get in touch with the show? Oh, you're a jerk. It is large format photography 
podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, are you sure there's not a the in there? I don't know. Is there a the in there? No, that's I the part I so. always screw up. No, yeah, I just show, know, so I show just guys on the show notes. That's it. Well, yeah. I know. No, we do the... we do all this, but we do all this because Simon does it all, so we feel obliged yeah. to and, and Did you know that on Google you can't have a Gmail that has support in it? I tried to do a superfilm support at Gmail and it's only for paid accounts. Oh, because really? it's like just in case I don't know Adobe decides to have a freebie account. It's like, come on, guys! Like, the Super Film Support can't have his own email. So I think it's like Nico Film Film something. Ah, that's that just sucks. to um, just a very very last finish off when when I announced uh, that we were having someone on the show who brought us the news every week. Yep, yep. Guy Bellingham, former guest on the show said dave burnett we love dave burnett and people started getting excited about dave burnett and his large format news photography i said no yeah. no, no no he's spanish and he brings you the photo news I said, oh greg obst said something like i haven't got the quote in front of me it's what? it's oh i've got the quote in front of have me. you gone then yeah i've got it i've got it it's hilarious it's like oh nico is a cool dude too not david burnett cool but maybe some maybe one day the, jo- the joke in the Spanish community is I'll be the Spanish Ken Rockwell. So that's where I'm aiming for. Well, I'm sure that's um, something to aspire to. Nico, thank you very, very much. And this is the point where, apart from Simon, we all say goodbye to everyone listening. So I uh, you. see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Take care. Bye.